Well, great to have you at part three of our series entitled, Don't Test Me. Grab your notes, grab your pens, and here's kind of the heartbeat of the series. I was thinking about this. Actually, God gave me this series. I was at the gym, and I sat down and wrote the entire series on my phone, and I felt like the Lord was giving me this analogy because usually we say, don't test me to other people. It's like, don't you test me. Don't you test me. What we're saying really is, don't push me to my limits. Unfortunately, we've taken that same mentality and we've turned it and said that to God. We say, God, don't you test me. Don't you, don't you push me to my limit. And we've forgotten that there are certain benefits and life lessons that you cannot achieve any other way aside from getting tested and strengthened. So over the last couple of weeks, which if you've missed any of the messages, I want to encourage you to grab them online because I really feel like this would be a help to you and your family and friends. But here's what we've learned, several things. We want to stay close to the refreshment source, stay close to God during the test. Understand that there's a benefit from the test. And when we go through a test, we're asking God this, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And help me to learn quickly so I don't have to repeat it all over again. Can I hear a good amen? Amen. Like we don't want to go through the same test over and over and over. And that's the graciousness of God. If you don't pass it, he'll let you repeat it all over again. And we don't want to. James, the half-brother of Jesus, comes along, and he writes in James chapter 1, gives us some keys into what tests produce in us. Now, he's writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, right? They're they're 12 tribes of Israel, and because of their faith in Jesus, there's been harsh persecution, and they're not living in the home anymore. They're living in caves. They're living way out in the wilderness, and and they're waiting for a letter to come to say, hey, guys, it's, it's subsided. You can come home now. Everything's all good. And they're excited because they get an email from James, and they're probably expecting the email to say, guys, you can come back home. And I would imagine, to their dismay, they open it up and they read James 1-2, where James says, hey, guys, count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. This is a foreign concept to us. Like, nobody gets excited about going through trials. Nobody's like, hey... I just went through hell this week, fist bump. You know, it just didn't happen. We don't don't rejoice over that. We don't get excited over that. There's no joy found in that. James is saying, no, you can have joy, not just because of the test, but because of what's being developed inside of you in the test. Count it joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know, and he's hoping that you know, that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Then he says, let perseverance finish its work. I wonder how many people have dropped out of the test because it got too hard. I wonder how many people have not finished the test. A lot of people live and die and never connect to purpose. And I'm just telling you, we as a church want to help you make it. Amen, everybody. Let it finish its work so that you can be mature and complete. Come on, how many want to be mature? Come on, there's three of you. How many want to be mature? You'll have to be a little bit louder today. How many want to be complete? You want to really lack nothing when it comes to the character that God's developing you? It comes from no other way than tests. I need you to help me tell the neighbor sitting next to you the sermon title for today. Here's the sermon title. Look at him and just tell him, bring the heat. Bring the heat. Turn and tell somebody behind you. Bring the heat. (laughs) Bring the heat. (laughs) 
Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for joy today. We thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we don't want to walk around as joyless believers without any strength. So God, we ask you to breathe life into us again. And Lord, anybody who's going through a difficult season, I pray that you'd meet them in this moment. Again, as always, if anything I say is not from you, let it be quickly forgotten. But everything from your word, let it remain and take deep root inside of us and change us to be who you want us to be. We absolutely love you, and we know that you're for us and not against us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say a good amen. amen. You know how crazy it is when you think about your shirts that you wear and how fast wrinkles occur in those shirts. It's like the moment you put them on, the wrinklage begins. You have wrinkles in the front, wrinkles in the back, wrinkles on the arms, and, and you have little, little creases that take place all over the shirt. And then there's those people, you know those people that show up, and there's, they're like, their shirt's way too nice. They don't have any wrinkles in it at all. And they just roll into the venue like, hey, I woke up like this. <laughs> and you know that's not the truth. Matter of fact, many of you know exactly how they did that because you have done the exact same thing. Here's what they do. They get into a car, and they don't want to get wrinkled, and so they put the seatbelt on because they don't want to break the law. But they don't let the seatbelt touch their clothing. They put enough slack in between the seatbelt and hold it the entire ride so that there's five feet. Like if you got in an accident, you might fly five feet, but your, your shirt will be wrinkle-free. How many have ever done that before? <laughs> Jesus Christ is the greatest teacher this world's ever known, and a lot of what he uses parables and analogies to help people understand truth. Today I'm going to attempt the same thing, and I want to look at, I want to look at the wrinkles in our clothing and see if you can catch the analogies when it comes to our life, all right? When it comes to wrinkled shirts, wrinkled clothes, we all fall into one of three categories. I want to write this down if you're a note-taker. Number one, here it is, some people don't care. They just don't care. They are a wrinkled mess, and they don't care. They couldn't care less. It's not that they don't see it. They see it. They just don't care. They got other things to worry about in life. It's not a priority for them. And in a hurry, many of us have learned a trick. We've learned this trick that if you, can't have, if you don't have time to iron the entire shirt, it's okay. You just iron the front of the shirt <laughs> and then put a jacket on. You are a wrinkled mess, but you look good in the front. Because you're only really concerned and worried about the part that people see. Are you catching the analogy yet? So there's some people who don't care. They, they're wrinkled and they don't care. Number two, there's some who don't see. Some who don't care. Then there's other people who don't see. They literally, legitimately don't see it in their life. They don't see it. They don't notice it. They don't have friends that are close enough to be honest with them, to tell them you are a wrinkled mess. Like if you don't have a small group of people, that's why small groups are so important. If you don't have a small group of people in your life that can tell you and speak into your life like, man, you really should address this in your life. There's some wrinkles going on. Like, if you don't have a friend that can tell you you have a booger in your nose, you're in trouble. <laughs> Do you have that small group of people in your life that can tell you the truth, the blind spots in our area? So there's some who don't, don't care, some who don't see, and then there's this other group of people. This is the people who, they don't know how to get rid of them. Like, they honestly don't know how to get rid of, rid of them. They don't know how to get the wrinkles out. It's not that they don't care, they do care. It's not that they don't see, they do see. They just don't know what the next step is in their life. 
And in life, we all have wrinkles in our clothes. But the truth be known, the analogy is we all have wrinkles in our life. All of us, and I do mean all of us, every one of us has issues in our life. There are some who have issues and they don't care. There are some who have issues and they don't see it. And then there are others, they have issues in their life and they don't know how to get them out. Here's the thing. When I have a wrinkled shirt like this, there's not something that I can do to just like put my hand down and nicely wipe away the wrinkles. That's not how this works. As a matter of fact, if I want to get some wrinkles out, I have to take it over to an ironing board. And as I take it to the ironing board, I have to just lay it down flat, take time for it. And then I have to put the weight of the iron on top of the shirt. Not only do I have to have the weight of the iron, I now have to apply some heat. Not just a little heat, a lot of heat. And not just heat, I also need to apply some steam. (laughs) Not just a little steam, I need to apply a lot of steam in order to move the iron around where all the wrinkles used to be. And not only does it take a little minute, it takes a long process. Have you ever been in a hurry when you're ironing and you're like, man, can this just hurry up? You can't rush this, baby. You got to take some time and go nice and slow in every area of the shirt. And when you apply heat, when you apply steam, and when you apply the heat and the weight of the iron, then and only then are you able to get some of the wrinkles out. Jesus comes along in Ephesians chapter 5, and through the pen of Paul, he's writing in the context of marriage. But then he says this, Christ is the head of the church. It's his body. He is the Savior. Okay, on a side note, by the way, Christ is the head of the church. It's his body. He's the Savior. Christ is the head. Church is his body. He's the Savior. You can't decapitate Jesus. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with his church. You, there's a lot. That's a, that's a real popular thought nowadays. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I'm not churching right now. I, heard, I had a lady tell me, I'm not churching. I was like, well, what does that even mean? <laughs> I'm not churching. We ought to be churching. We ought to be a part of the body. As a matter of fact, if I take this hand, I have a beautiful hand. It's almost model status. Like, <laughs> do lotion model commercials, hand. I'm kidding, of course. If I cut the hand off, put it on the platform, or put it on the pulpit, It doesn't matter how beautiful your hand is. If it's not attached to the body, are you getting the analogy? So we can't say we love Jesus and hate his church, and we don't want a church without Jesus. They come as a package. Come on, let's clap our hands and say a good amen for his church. Why are we clapping for the church? Because it's Jesus' church. The local church is the hope of the world. Not just this church. I mean, churches around the world. And it's, it's his plan to reach the world. Now, if the church is important to Jesus, I think it ought to be important to us. He starts off by saying, Jesus is the head, church is his body, of which he's the Savior. Christ loved the church so much he gave his life for her. Watch this. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, that's the Bible, his ability to communicate truth and tell us how to get to God through him. Verse 27 is interesting, though, because it says, and to present her to himself, You ever, like at Christmas time, you ever bought yourself a gift? (laughs) Jesus bought himself a gift. He says, to present her to himself as a radiant church, because he was able to pay a price that nobody else could pay. He paid a price 
for the church. He wants to present it back to himself, a radiant church. Watch this, this part. Without stain and without wrinkle. Without stain and without wrinkle. Without stain and without wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Is there anybody in the room today that's grateful Jesus Christ laid down his life so that our stains of sin can be washed away? I've tried to iron by myself. I don't have that spiritual gift. I've tried to iron, and I iron, and I'll get some wrinkles out, but I am unable to get all of the wrinkles out like I want to. As a matter of fact, it's not until I take it to the professionals, until the cleaners, where they're able to take out any stain in my white shirt, and they're able to pour a little bit more heat on than I was able to. They're able to give a little bit more steam than I was able to, and they're able to not just take the stains out, but present me with a shirt that is completely wrinkle free. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to the issues and the wrinkles of our life, we are incapable of getting all the wrinkles out on our own. That's why we come to Jesus, because he is the ultimate cleaners. Matter of fact, if he was going to open up a cleaners in our city, I'm sure the name would be called without stain or wrinkle. That would be a great name for a cleaners. But God comes along and not only is he able to remove every stain, he's able to iron out all the wrinkles. Hey, listen to me. There's a lot of people that get excited when they come to God because their stains are gone, but then they fight him when he wants to get the wrinkles out. It's not about just having the stains gone. It's about God now ironing the wrinkles. James, the half-brother of Jesus, comes along and he says, here's how you get the wrinkles out. Count it joy, my brothers, when you go through all fiery trials of many kinds, knowing something that the testing of your faith is producing perseverance. You need perseverance, so let it finish its work so you can be mature, complete, and lacking nothing. Here's what James is telling us. Tests and trials, they are the heat that God allows in our life to get the wrinkles out. Ladies and gentlemen, God wants to mature you. He wants to complete you. He wants to build endurance in you. But that doesn't just happen. There is a process by which God works inside of us to accomplish his purpose. Now, we understand this in any other area of life. We understand there's a process for everything. There's a process to have a child. There's a process to mow a lawn. There's a process for everything in life. But when it comes to this area, somehow we get confused and shake our fist at God and say, why is this taking so long? Do you even care? And I'm here to tell you today that God still cares and he is still here. Not only is God the God of the mountaintop, he's also the God of the valley. He's God in good days and he's God in the bad days. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, the Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Come on, is there anybody that's grateful? Our God is Emmanuel. He is God with us right now. Do we get mad at coaches? for making us run and we look at them and say you're just mean and you don't care do we look at trainers and say we're mad at you because you want us to make you want to make us lift more weight and we look at them and think man they're just mean and don't care do we look at a teacher and say when they give us a test they're mean and don't care no we understand that they're doing all of that to develop us they're developing endurance they're developing muscle they're developing the aptitude to go to the next level which we were not ready for previously ladies and gentlemen may i tell you you will never be developed until you trust the process 
Trust the process because it's developing something inside of you. Trust the process because it's getting you ready for something that you weren't prepared for. It's building up to something that you couldn't handle before, but you will be able to after you come through. Can somebody say, bring the heat? Come on, say, bring the heat. I'm trying to get you to understand that, that when God allows a test to come your way, we don't have to fight the test. We can welcome the test because it's actually producing something that we need inside of us. How many love chocolate cake? How many love just cake in general? You're not biased, like any cake will do. On the count of three, everybody yell out your favorite cake. One, two, three. (laughs) That all sounds good. What's crazy about a cake is that there's many different ingredients inside the cake. None of which, if tasted alone, would be very pleasant. Matter of fact, every ingredient by itself would probably be unpleasant. I think you'd agree with this, that I don't know anybody who's ever woken up in the middle of the night and said, you know what, I need to come downstairs. I'm just so hungry. I just want some flour. (laughs) So hungry right now. Mm. You know what I really need? Is really had a hankering for some vanilla extract. Nobody's ever come down and said, you know what? What I really want is some oil. Ah, It goes down so smooth. Nobody's ever come and said, man, I just wish I could have some salt. (sighs) Nobody's ever come downstairs and said, you know what I really would like more than anything else right now? you. I got half of it down. I almost lost my groceries. Oh dear God, I've never done that before. I didn't do that that the last service. Eyes are watering, help us Jesus. Nobody would ever, ever, ever want to do any of this stuff by itself. But can I tell you, when you take all of these ingredients and you begin to mix them together, there's something that happens in the mixing of these ingredients that would be unpleasant by themselves. Ladies and gentlemen, something happens in the process. Something happens when there's blending. Something happens when you take all of these ingredients and you add some heat, 350 degrees for 35 to 45 minutes. After a while of that, I'm telling you, what was flat begins to rise. The entire molecular structure of this cake begins to change. And if you let it stay in the heat long enough, what comes out is something so sweet that there will be people lined up just to take a bite. I'm telling you the same thing in our life. There have been things in your life that if you had isolated events, you would say that was not a pleasant event. As a matter of fact, that was painful, that was hurtful, that was bitter, and that was abrasive. But when you begin to mix all of those things together, and God adds his grace, 
He adds his mercy. He adds his love. He adds his hope. He adds his healing. I'm telling you, as he adds heat, something happens in the process. And your faith that was flat begins to rise. And what was bitter has now been overtaken by the sweet. And if you stay in the heat long enough, what God is producing inside of you is going to be so wonderful, so masterful. People will line up to hear just how God brought you through. Come on, are you getting this today? No wonder the Apostle Paul who was beaten and left for dead. No wonder the Apostle Paul, who was lied about, talked about, mistreated, thrown in prison and forgotten. No wonder he wrote from experience, Romans chapter 8, as he says, and we know that God works for the good. What is he talking about? We know that in all things God works for the good to those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. He's saying from experience. He's saying, I know God can take the good, he can take the bad, he can take the ugly, and he can mix it all together. And what he develops inside of you is something beautiful that will last a lifetime. Listen, God doesn't cause all things, but God can cause good out of all things. What you've been through what you're currently going through, it is not your final destination. You need to know today that God is working that together for good. Come on, thank God for that today. I'm telling you, this will change your perspective. If you get this perspective, you can then see clearer in the storm. You can have peace in turmoil. You can even have joy in the middle of the night, just like Paul who was beaten with rods beaten like Jesus was, all of these things thrown in prison just because he was preaching Jesus, all of this stuff and the culmination, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. We look at that and say, Paul, being beaten with rods doesn't seem light to me. Like, honestly, being whipped like Jesus was doesn't seem like a light thing. And Paul's not saying in and of itself it was light. He was saying when you compare it to what's coming, when you compare it to what it's producing, it begins to seem light. And many times we look back on things that developed us. See, nobody grows in the lazy, hazy days of ease. The moments you've grown is when you went through hell and you went through high water and you tested and you were tried. That's the moments you were stretched and endured and that's when you be, were developed and matured. Let me tell you, he says, when it's compared to what I went through, I don't like what I went through, but I wouldn't change it for anything because it's producing something. Somebody say, bring the heat. Bring say, God is working. working. That egg's going to come up in a minute. Rocky. That was a horrible idea. I don't know why people chant for other people to do gross stuff. You don't love me. You should have said, no, Sean. You probably shouldn't do that. It was like, do it, do it. Especially in this general area over here. Simon Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. He was one of his interns, one of his apostles. I don't think anybody else knew Jesus probably as well as Peter, maybe John, James. Before the cross, Jesus had a chat with Peter. And in Luke chapter 22, he calls him by his full name. 
Remember when your parents called you by your full name? Sean Brendan Nepstad? It wasn't just Sean. Hey, hey Sean, it was Sean Brendan Nepstad. You knew when you had your full name called, you better pay attention. It's funny because I was born in the Philippines, became a citizen in America in second grade, and on my legal documentation papers, my dad forgot the N on my middle name, so my legal citizenship name is Sean Brenda Nepstad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. Another lesson in finish what you started. He says to Simon, Simon, he preaches his name, Simon, Simon, pay attention to me. What I'm getting ready to tell you is important. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like sifting was a process. Where it's an agricultural term. It's a farming term where they would take the wheat and, the, and separate it from the, sh- the, sh- the chaff. And, and it was a separation. He says, Simon, Satan, literally translation is, he's begging me for you. He, must, he was trying to destroy Peter. The devil saw him as such a threat. He must have known Peter is going to do something great for Jesus. I've got to take care of him now. Let me have an all-out onslaught on his life to try and destroy him before he ever makes it out of this situation. But God used it. Simon, Simon, Satan is begging me for you. He wants to sift you like wheat. Here's the encouraging part, verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. He said, your faith is going to falter, but it's not going to fail. It will be restored and it will be renewed. You know, when bad things happen to us, when we go through hard times and when there's tests, they come from different reasons. Number one, they come maybe because God has allowed them to come. He always allows them. If it's coming, it's because of that. God, God brings a test. Other times it's the devil, like the devil's full on attack. And then there's this third area we don't talk about too much, and that is you go through hard things just because you made a stupid decision. I feel like God gets blamed for a lot. No matter if it's a hard test from the devil, bad decisions we made, we always shake our fist at God and say, why did you do this? God doesn't always do that. Many times it's these other reasons. Remember when I was stepped in to uh, speak at our youth group several years ago, we were working with this one kid, he's 15 years old, and kind of troubled teen. We saw some progress, but then he digressed a little bit, and, and he made a bad decision. One day he's sitting in the back of the church, hoodie on, just all by himself, just didn't want to be there, but his mom forced him. Thank God for the moms and dads who forced their kids to go to youth group. And, and grandmas, and aunts and uncles and friends and cousins. And... Let's give it up for our youth group, amen, everybody. So he's sitting there. I come sit by him. He doesn't even look at me. I said, you mad? Yeah. Who are you mad at? Mm-hmm. You mad at your mom? Yeah. You mad at your friends? Yeah. You mad at me? So you mad at God? Yeah. Then I asked him this question. 
You mad at the devil? Like, it had never crossed his mind that he would even have a reason to be mad at the devil. I looked at him and I said, well, answer the question. Are you mad at the devil? Hmm. I said, that would be like me slapping you and saying, he did it. Like, it never crossed our mind that the devil has tried to attack your life because he deems you as a threat. And we turn around and blame the very God who can help us get out of it. Isn't it an interesting ploy of the enemy to get us in such a turmoil, tumultuous decision and process, and then we don't, we don't know what to do. We shake our fist at the very God who can help us. So when tests and trials come, ask yourself those questions. Which one is it? Because many of you can relate to this. You're going through something right now, and it feels like it's a full-out onslaught. Like it's an attack. It feels like it's one test after another. Could it be? Listen, take courage because the Bible says to Peter, I'm praying for you, boy. Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews 7.25, not in your notes. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. Isn't it comforting to know that the creator of the universe is praying for you when you're walking through a difficult time? He's praying for you. That your faith wouldn't fail. Here's the story of Peter. Followed Jesus for three years. He told Jesus, it's right or die. I'm not going anywhere. Somebody have to kill me. And Jesus is like, okay, well, that's all nice, but here's what's going to happen. Tonight, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'm not. I'll never do that. Tonight, Peter. Tonight. It's one thing for Jesus I'm like, it's one thing for you to, to fail, God, to blow it. It's another thing to have Jesus tell you when you're going to blow it and how you're going to blow it, and you still blow it. <laughs> how many how you know he felt like the biggest loser? But in John chapter 21, there's a restoration that took place. If you read John 21, we see Jesus and Peter having a dialogue after the resurrection on the beach in front of the guys. He restored him. He used him. He called him back on mission, back on purpose. And Peter would go on to be filled with the baptism with the Holy Spirit of God. And he would preach the first sermon of the early church where 3,000 people get saved. And God turned punk Peter into prophesying Peter. He turned him into punk Peter into proclaiming Peter and preaching Peter and purpose-driven Peter. This guy who couldn't even tell a young girl in the shadows of the night that he knew Jesus... He now goes on to become one of the greatest leaders of the church. Ladies and gentlemen, if that's what can happen when Jesus is praying for you, let me tell you, it's going to be a great day when God restores your life too. Because many of you have come back and you look back at things in your life where you did not pass the test. You look back and all you see is failure. I'm here to encourage you today that just because you failed doesn't mean it has to be final. God can still work good out of it. He wants to turn it around to build character in you, to build muscle in you, endurance and strength. Come back to him. Restore your faith in Jesus so he can restore you. Because there are people that need to hear your story. There are people that need to hear what you, how you made it through. God can use it because he's the ultimate recycler. He, nothing is wasted with God. He can work good out of any situation and let him love you and guide you through it because he has a greater plan than you can't even see right now. Come on, clap your hands and say a good amen if you believe that. 
Let me give you three points. Number one, you need to embrace the process. I'm not saying it's pleasant, but you can embrace the process. Why? Because you know it's producing something. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, again, we glory in suffering. And I would say, no, we don't. Like, that's, that's not a scripture verse we get tattooed on our arm. Everybody wants to get tattooed. I can do all things with Christ. That's a great verse, but nobody says, hey, guys, when I go through hell, it's amazing. Put that on this arm. No. Never seen it. Now, don't go get one just because I said that. Oh, yeah, Pastor Sean, watch this. Whole book of Revelation on my back. We glory in suffering because we know. The last three weeks, I'm just trying to get you to know. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. God's developing you. He's developing you. We're banging on the oven saying, it's too hot in here. Let me out. And God's like, you're not done yet. You take the cake out too early, it flattens. You have a mess on your hands. God wants to give you something that you can share with other people. Some of you wonder why people are so raw. It's because they keep jumping out of the oven. What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Just so raw. They haven't stayed in long enough to be developed. Anytime you see a hurting person like that, they've walked through something you don't understand. Don't get mad at them. They're walking through their process. It is a process. Romans chapter 15 verse 5 says it this way. May the God who gives endurance, watch this, and encouragement. Not only does He give you endurance, He's going to encourage you along the way. May He give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. That's huge. That's huge. Embrace the process. Number two, trust the Savior. Trust Him. Fall in love with Jesus during a hard time. Because Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good for them who love Him. Listen to me, everybody. Everything doesn't just work out in the end. Contrary to popular belief in your Facebook post, like people try to encourage you, like, hey, you know, everything just has a way of working out in the end. No, it doesn't. There are some people who go to the grave and stuff is jacked up. He says to those who love him, who put Jesus first, God's going to come in and he's going to make everything work together in the end. You don't see it, you don't understand it, but he's the only one who can do that. Let chest and trials push you towards Jesus, not away from him. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord because he's the one who can sustain you. Nobody else can carry you like God. Don't run away from the very one who can carry you through. So embrace the process. Trust the Savior because he's chiseling away some things in you. Michelangelo, the sculptor, the artist, years gone by, he made this sculpture of David, King David in the Bible. It's amazing. I've seen a replica. I've never seen the real one. And this sculpture, he's amazing, the, the detail. And they asked him one day, like, wasn't it hard? It took him three years. It's a long time. Three years. Isn't it hard? Here's his response. Nope. How did you do it? Simple. I just removed everything that wasn't David. 
And I encourage you, trust the sculptor. Trust Jesus. He's removing everything in your life that's not like him. And in the end, it's going to be beautiful. Embrace the process. Trust the Savior. Number three, look ahead to see how you'll be able to help others. Look ahead to see how you'll be able to help other people. Rarely when we're going through a test do we ask ourselves, hey, I wonder how God is going to use this to bless somebody else. We can't even think about that. We're just focused on our own need. We're focused on our own hurt, our wound. We're angry. Tests will either make you bitter or better, but you can't have both. So you pick. He said to Peter, when you return, I'm going to use you to strengthen your brothers. Listen to me. What you're going through, God can turn around, even in a small group setting, to strengthen other people. How many have ever been encouraged by somebody else? You don't want to talk to somebody who hasn't been through what you're going through. But they coming around like, hey, don't worry. God's got this. It's going to be okay. Oh, you went through it? No, no, no. Are you crazy? No, no. You want to talk to somebody who's been through it, came out of it, has a testimony. Stay, stay in the heat, girl. Stay in the heat, man. Because God's got you. If I can make it, you can make it. That's the power of small groups. We have small group training next week at 1.15. For September the 10th, we kick off a 13-week semester. I'm praying for 400 small groups. That's our goal. That's a lot. Praying for 400 small groups. It's not impossible. We just need some people who've been through some stuff or currently going through some stuff that says, hey, guys, let's learn together. Or I've been through some stuff. Let me help somebody else. God is the ultimate recycler. I'm telling you, nothing is wasted. He's going to use what you've been through to help somebody else. Your faith may falter, but it will not fail because you have Jesus praying for you. Amen, everybody. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed all over the room. If you're here and you're going through a test, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're walking through something difficult. Relationship, a marriage, finance, health. You know, God knows. There are some people that even take their life because the test seems to be too strong. Why? Because they're carrying it alone. Cast your cares on the Lord. He will sustain you. Get in a small group. They will help carry you. But for the people that do it alone, many of them take their life. The depression, they get so isolated and insulated, and the devil just has a field day sifting them like wheat. I'm telling you, don't do life alone. Don't take your life. Don't divorce. Don't walk out. Don't run away. Don't isolate. Don't leave. Stay in the heat. I'm not saying if you're being abused. Or, I, don't, don't get what I'm saying tw- and twist it. If, you're, if there's abuse there, obviously you've got to get out of there. Even David didn't stay around when Saul was throwing spears. I get that. I'm telling you, we jump out so easily. Many times we miss what God's trying to teach us, and then we wonder why we have to repeat it. There's a benefit in the test. If you're here and you're going through something, I want to pray for you. I want to ask God to give you the strength and sustain you. If, you're, if that's you, just kind of lift your hands on your lap like this. You don't have to lift them high. 
God, I pray for every person in here who's walking through a storm. Everybody listening online, family worship room, and in this room. It's so difficult, God, because we, we typically only see what's in front of us, and we don't see past it. I pray that we take a lesson from you, Jesus. The Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? Because he was looking past the cross to see what it was going to produce. It would help us look, look past what we're walking through to see what it's going to produce in us and help others. I pray for sustaining grace that you come, Holy Spirit, and undergird us. Sustain us, God. Because many of us are at our wit's end. Last straw. Lord, you've gotten our attention today. We submit our lives back to you. Pray for great grace for the journey. Deliverance and an outcome that's glorifying to your name. We love you, Jesus. You cause all things to work together for good for those who love you. If you're here today and you say, my life isn't right with God, Sean, I know it. I kind of I already know that. I'd love to lead you in a commitment prayer that you can pray right in your seat. I'm not going to have you stand or come to the front. But if you're here and you say, Sean, I used to be close to God, but I've, I've drifted away. Maybe there was a painful moment. Sometimes uh, we can't take the pain of a moment. We were wounded and we left. We turned our back on God. If that's you, you wouldn't be the first to do that. Matter of fact, Peter did that. And yet God restored him. Let today be the restoration point of turning in your life. If you say, Sean, I need to give my life to God for the first time or I need to renew my commitment, on the count of three, would you just lift your hand right where you are and I'll lead you in a prayer? Come on, all of the room. One, two, three. Lift it up right now. This is me. This is me. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, come on, there's lots of hands. Let's clap our hands for every hand represents a soul, a story. Allow me to lead you in this prayer. Just say this with all your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me right where I am. Today I give you my life. Forgive me from my sin. Remove the stain of sin and iron out the wrinkles. Build in me character. Mature me, God, and use all of my gifts to reach others with your love. I give you my life. I'll follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name. Come on, somebody say a good amen. Can we clap our hands for everybody who prayed that prayer today? Great job.